have right now is uh, to teach um, a class at the FHL. It's called Worldviews. And I love to learn, and I'm teaching the class so I can learn. And I didn't know this would happen, but during the course of this past week, we were going through how you test um, a worldview. And a worldview is just simply the way you look at the world, and it, it's, a, it's not simple, but everybody has a worldview, whether you know it or not. But it's uh, from the guy who's robbing a bank to a guy who's uh, worshiping God 24-7 um, to the girl who's 16 years old and not walking with God to the mother of 10 who's attempting to raise her children in a godly way. Everybody has a worldview. But the question, one of the questions came up to test, how do you test which worldview is, is uh, closer to reality? And one of the questions was, what worldview provides the highest understanding of human dignity? And we'd been talking about uh, the difficult subject of abortion the week before that. And so when the worldview question, what provides the highest understanding of human dignity, which worldview provides that, I couldn't help thinking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done everywhere he walked on the earth and everywhere he his worldview is promoted, he brings people up. He wants to raise them up out of uh, the mess of sin and darkness. And he doesn't want to just bring people out of poverty if, as if that was some great accomplishment. He wants to bring poverty out of people in the sense that if, we, if we're not recognizing who we are as people created in the image of God, people that have a perspective of who you are because of who God is. And so... That just stopped me in my tracks as I was just thinking about Jesus and all the stories in the New Testament when he meets, especially when he met in situations where there was a group of men and they're trying to put a woman down. And what did Jesus do? And he was elevating people. So we come to this passage in Colossians chapter 3. Um, it's a whole picture of the the breadth and the width of understanding of what God wants us to understand that he has done through Christ. And the Colossians, rather than being caught into all kinds of different, uh, whether it was legalistic righteousness, self-righteousness, human traditions, whatever would keep them as an individual less than what Jesus would do. Let me take a second and pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Pray that you'd help us to open our eyes this morning to all of more of who you are, what you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So this uh, church at Colossae was made up of individual people. And they were probably from all ages, of course. And they're all different journeys, just like you and I are on a journey of life from time of birth to time of death, and there was other people in the community trying to tell them that it was okay if they were following Jesus, but they needed Jesus and. Jesus and all this other stuff. 
And you can read the list. We've gone through chapter 2. But now we're done with all the difficulties that Paul was facing. And he just wants to remind them that you, who you are in Christ, act what you are. If you will act what you are, you will. Who are you? And so he says to them, chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. So which worldview provides the highest understanding of human dignity? And I don't know all the worldviews. I know some worldviews put people in cages and chains and they sell them to other people. Not only for slaves, but human trafficking. And I know that there's some worldviews that if uh, Peter Singer, for instance, he's a uh, professor, philosopher of the leading university today, he believes that uh, basically the parents should be able to decide if they want their child up to three years old. And then just, I'm not talking about give the child up for abortion. They say just take the child out. Because the value of a child is no more value than a snail or a chicken. And that's one of our leading philosophers of today. So here Paul comes along and he says, listen, as an individual who is made in the image of God, Christ is your life. Do you get that? Christ is your life. If He is your life, is He your life? There's going to be lots of things that are going to come in and try to distract that relationship, hinder that relationship, even good intended people. But you have the privilege and the responsibility because you have been raised with Christ to set your heart on things above. There's a story told about an eagle that was captured. After it had only been able to fly for a short time, it was captured by this farmer. And so he took it home and put it... He. He hindered it from flying, however he did, whether he clipped his wings or staked it down. But he put a restraint on the eagle so that it couldn't fly. And then he turned it out into the barnyard with the chickens. And it roamed around the yard, and it wasn't long until the eagle started to act like the chickens, scratching the ground, pecking at the ground. And, in the, and, and the bird, the eagle that was designed to soar in the heavens, was now seemed to be satisfied, scratching the ground like a chicken. One day the farmer was visited by a shepherd from the highlands. And when the shepherd came and he noticed the eagle, he was pretty disappointed. He said, what a shameful thing to keep that bird hobbled in your barnyard. Why don't you let it go? And the farmer said, you know, I think that's a good idea. So they unhobbled the eagle and let it go, but it didn't do anything different. It just hobbled around like the chickens. So then the shepherd 
picked it up and he took it to the highlands and he set it on a peak. And it wasn't long for the first time in many months that the eagle saw the grand expanse of land and sky before him. And after a few minutes, he was climbing off and soaring, acting like an eagle. And the point is, are you and I acting like God's children? Are we acting like Christians? Are we setting our minds on things that are above? Because if we put our faith in Christ, He's already told the Colossians, listen, you were buried with Him in baptism. You were raised to new life through your faith in God. What are you pursuing? What are you looking at? Because there's a a law almost. What you pursue you will become. What you pursue, you become. What you set your eyes on, what you set your mind on, what you set your heart on, you become. And you might say, well, I didn't set my heart on anything. And we would say, exactly. But God comes along, He says, you put your faith in Me, I made you in My image. That image is marred by sin and by the distractions of the earth and the world, worldliness in general, you were meant to fly. You were intended to soar. And so he says, since, and we talked about the, the, the if in, the, in the, the King James reads, if ye then be risen with Christ, and the if isn't there to put a question in anybody's mind. The if is the certainty Because you would have to say, if Christ was raised from the dead? No. He's writing with the absolute certainty that Jesus did raise from the dead. And since you put your faith in Jesus, His resurrection is your resurrection. I was just pondering for my own mind this week some of these helpful illustrations. Okay, I, I thought every... This is hypothetical, maybe. But if every demon in hell got on the back of Jesus when he was in the grave and then had all the other demons stand in front of the tomb and hold the rock, could they have stopped him? Could they have prevented? The fact is they didn't and they couldn't. And so his resurrection is your resurrection. Get it? He says, since you have been, because you have been through your faith in Jesus, you've been raised up out of the barnyard, in a sense, out of death. You've been raised up into new life. Live there. Set your mind on such things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Because your life is hidden with God, and when Christ, who is your life, returns, then you also will return with Him. So we're to act as if we are what we are. And we will act indeed as we are. So you've been raised with Christ. That's the what. What has happened to us? Through faith in Jesus, we've been raised with Christ. Buried with Him in baptism. Raised to new life. It says there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, In Him... You were also circumcised, verse 11, putting off the sinful nature. And verse 12, having been buried with Him in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God, 
raised him from the dead. That's the what. The what is you've been raised with Christ. Where? Where you've been raised to? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It staggers the mind. It's so simple and yet so powerful. You died and your life is now hidden. That's the when. You have the what, the where, the when. Now hidden with Christ in God. And you've been raised to a new life. To a new life. I often find myself, and I'm so thankful for many of you, I find myself often acting like a chicken. Scratching on the ground. Picking in the dirt. And you come along and you say, Chris, that's not who you are. And the Spirit of God comes along and says, Chris, that's not who you are. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship, a spirit of adoption. To live a new life by a new birth, by a new power, for a new purpose, to a new place, under new authority, new direction, new hope. And all that's in Scripture and much more. So, because you've been raised with Christ through your faith in Christ, set your hearts on things above. I got up early this morning just to read uh, John chapter 11 to myself again. And if you know what that story is, anybody know? Remember John chapter 11? It's the story of Lazarus being raised. And Jesus trying to help these people understand, if you believe in me, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, your his resurrection is our resurrection. So true Christianity produces both a death. So there's a separation from the old way of life, and Paul will, will go into that in the later verses. And there's a life risen to new life in Christ. So there's a death and a resurrection. A partnership, a new life, a new identity. We're in Jesus. He's in us. You will be what you are. Will you be what you are? And you will, in fact, be what you are. And recognize your obligation as a Christian. Recognize the power by which the Christian life is fueled. The direction of our life is a Godward life. It's the, direct, it's the direction of your life. And we get beat up all the time because sometimes we just can't do it right and we'll try and we'll try. It's not the perfection, it's the direction. It's the fact that we're setting our mind on things above. And if we set our mind on things above because of the work that's already been done, because of the resurrection of Christ, He died once for all. He can't die again. And even though we die... We'll live through our faith in Him. We've been born again. We've been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We've been raised to new life. And we're alive in Him, dead no longer. And you just want to, my spirit wants to shout, Live! Go live! Just be who you are in Christ. So when you show up to whatever you show up to, you don't even know yet what will happen. But if you're thinking earthly thoughts, you're going to say, oh, well. But no, set your mind on things above. And you'll find 
in him and through him the power to do what he invites you to and commands you to do, loving others, because you have been raised. There's been an internal change from death to life brought about by our co-resurrection with Christ, our identification with Him, our being in Him and He being in us, it will result in an external change. Not by our efforts, but by trusting what God has done and what God has said as we step into that life. We will be, in fact, the salt and the light, if we will be. We will be conformed to His image if we will be. We will be corrected by the indwelling Holy Spirit and rebuked and built up. We will be discipled and disciplined by a loving Father. We will keep in step with the Spirit if we keep in step with the Spirit. So that's why He's saying if. If or since you've been raised with Christ, set your things, uh, your heart and your mind on things above because that's, been, that's what's been done. Because you have been raised with Christ, set your mind and heart on things above. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have trusted His finished work on the cross for your salvation from the penalty of death, then He has accepted that faith. And it says, since you've been raised with Him, set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. I don't know about you, but I often feel like that chicken. And I have to set my mind on things above, not my feelings, not my emotions, not my circumstances. But I have to look to the Word of God and say, what does God say that He has done? What does God say about me as I trust Him and as I act and walk like His child and indeed carry out being His child? In the uh, in some of the translations, it said set, set your mind, set your heart on things above. Other translations actually use the word seek. But the idea is that you're taking responsibility, you're taking initiative for your, your stuff. You have a mind, it can be on all kinds of things. Your heart, the affections of your heart, they can be on all kinds of things. And so there's a command. It's an imperative command. And whatever the Word commands us, it also gives us the power to do if we will. If we will. We have a responsibility as a Christian to guard our hearts by setting them on things above if we will. Because your mind is probably no different than my mind. The chicken yard is always a thought away. Groveling thinking about things that are not above, thinking about things that are just earthly things, thinking about how long is this preacher going to preach today so we can get home, thinking about the storm. But so the, it, it's a command and an invitation. But if he's your king, it's a command which provides initiative for your life of a new direction. That's how you used to think and this is how you should think. Set your mind on things above since you have been raised in Christ. Keep seeking things above. You pick a point. I remember as a young kid walking to my deer stand, and it's dark still, right? And so you had to pick a point. 
on the silhouette of the horizon, the, the tallest tree that you could see, and you knew about where that tree was, and you pick a point and you move toward it. You set your mind, you set your heart, and you move toward it. And then you got to make adjustments along the way because you drift. Or you take your eyes off the silhouette, or you ro- go down a little divot. So he's saying seek, which is a present imperative, set. It's a continuous, ongoing practice so that, in fact, it becomes a lifestyle of setting your heart, setting your mind on things above. And we have the privilege to encourage one another and challenge one another in that. Because we all have minds that drift. We all have affections that drift. Set then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because you died and now you have a new life. If, in fact, you've died and have a new life. This word set, seek, to seek after, to strive for earnestly, to to devote serious effort, to realize that which you seek for. I couldn't help thinking this morning about the guy in the first row there when he was a little boy and he was riding in the truck with his dad, the logging truck. And he got his first cow. And now today, I think you're a logger, right? And I think he's a farmer. But he must have done some setting of his mind and setting of his heart. So today, maybe you're here and you're just like going, I'll never get there. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know where I'm at. You don't know what kind of junk. You don't know how grounded I am in my circumstances and my chicken yard. But no... I do because I have the same heart and mind. And I bring it to Jesus. And he tells me, since I've been raised, I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was lost. He came and sought what was lost. He's the seeker. He's the encourager. He's the builder. He's the transformer. So he comes and takes us from where we are to where we ought to be by the power of his spirit by the power of His Word, by the power of the community, and a number of ways that He works in each of our lives to take us from where we are to where we ought to be, even in the thinking, especially in the thinking. The at, there's a, not only the imperative present, so it's a continuous, ongoing practice, because you need to practice Remember what you're what you pursue you're becoming. What are you pursuing? What are you practicing? What are you seeking? Your life's not anything more than energy and inertia moving somewhere. And so like that vapor that's contained, the Bible says your life is but a vapor, but you contain that vapor power, right? So that's why you set. That's why you seek. And that's why you set and seek on things above. And there's the, the active voice indicates that this seeking is a choice of our will. And God does not force us to take the action, though He greatly desires it from us and encourages us to take it. But throughout this next day, throughout this next week, just check your drift. 
each day. Just maybe write on your hand. I write on my palm pilot. Chris, where did you set your affections? Where have you set your heart? Where have you set your mind? What are you seeking? And it might remind me, because I mean, hours can go by. Days, maybe. And I haven't thought about heavenly things. I haven't set my mind on things above. And I start to look around and say, no wonder you're scratching in the dirt. So we have this privilege and responsibility of seeking things that are above. And there's a, there's a dynamic going on here that I'm still learning about. And if I'm out to lunch, challenge me. Help me understand. I want to grow. But this seeking things above, it's both a consequence of being raised by Him and it's a responsibility. They work together somehow. But you don't think about things above and you have, unless you've been raised to think about things above. That's why he starts and he says, since you have been raised with Christ, now that you've been raised with Christ, you're supposed to be thinking about godly things. And it may be brand new to you, but you go back and you say, wow, the Scripture wants me to set, reset my mind. It wants me to reset my affections. How's that going to happen? All my life I've just been not very good at that. And they didn't even think about it. So then you have verses like Philippians 4, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So there's a, it's a possibility. It's a probability. It's an actuality. If you've been raised with Christ, set your thing, your heart, and your mind on things above. So it's a responsibility. It's a duty. It's an obligation. And it's a God-empowered privilege and responsibility and command. So it's both the consequences of being raised, and it's a privilege. Seeking Christ is what those who are in Him do. That's what those who are in Him do. That's what those who have a king, they would think about the king's assignments. They would think about the king's will. They would think about the king's nature. Ephesians 2, chapter Chapter 2, verse 6. In the midst of Paul's uh, great letter to the Ephesians here, in this famous passage here, he says in verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up. And God raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, I won't tell you I understand all that that means. But I will tell you, it both thrills me and challenges me. And it apprehends me in the sense when I do, by the, the, the 
grieving or the quenching or the wonder of the Spirit that I wear that, Chris, you lingered too long on that particular situation. Get your mind back where it should be on heavenly things. Not just on heavenly things, but on Him who is seated at the right hand of God. We're invited to think about Jesus. That's why even this week when I thought, which worldview provides the highest human dignity? I instantly thought about Jesus. That's what He did. That's what He does. That's what He continues to do. Bring dignity to humans who have lost dignity, who have lost the sense that they were created in the image of God and they're behaving like chickens in a barnyard, groveling. And so when Paul says in Colossians, what he says in Ephesians, what it says throughout Scripture, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, it makes me think and gives me the privilege and the opportunity to respond to the responsibility and the command and the privilege to direct my thoughts. Because I can. Philippians 3.20 It says that our citizenship is in heaven. There again, it's the same idea. We're still down here on earth. We're very much on earth. I understand that. But Paul's saying, listen, while you're on earth, you can be thinking about Christ. You can think about heavenly things. So there was this famous, uh, and I just remember bits and pieces of it, but a story I read about a, a captain who was a, a long, long way from England. And they made this book into a movie on the far side of the world, maybe, if you ever heard of it. But the, the captain was in charge of an English ship, and they were a long, long way from home. And he was getting his troops ready for battle, his sailors, ready, his seamen, ready for the battle. And he said to them, um, we are a long way from home right now. And England is under great attack. But for now, our ship is England. And we're fighting for England. So in a sense, we have a long way to go yet in this journey. In our walk with Christ. You're going to face things. I'm going to face things. We're going to face things. But we know where we're going. So he says, set your mind on things above because you've been raised with Christ, in Christ. Basically called to be who we are in Christ. Every minute of the day. If you wake up tomorrow morning and the first thought in your mind is to set your mind on things above, maybe the things that you think are so important to you will not necessarily be so important to you. Maybe you'll hear voice of your commander, the voice of your king, saying, you know what? You could fight that. You could war against that. You could put that to death. It, you could live like you are intended to live. You could live like you were raised up. You could live like you were born again. You could live like who you are in Christ. Be preoccupied with heaven and Him who reigns there so that thinking will govern your time on earth. 
heavenly thinking will affect your time on earth. It's interesting, just this whole idea of seeking and setting your hearts and setting your minds. If someone is seeking God, if someone is a God seeker, you would call them a God seeker, you call yourself a God seeker. Be careful that you think that if there's room for pride there, that, oh, you know what? I'm a God seeker. All the other people in the world or the people that you judge that are in the world, they're, they're not really God seekers. And if you think that somehow there's pride there and you have an opportunity to be proud because you're better than someone else, no, it's evidence that God is at work. Because Romans tells us no one seeks God. No one seeks God. We're enemies of God. But He did give us a will. And he did give us a mind. And He came to seek and save that which was lost. So if you're a God seeker, if there's a God hunger in your heart, and you're responding to the hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it would seem in my mind, from what I understand from this passage, God is at work in your life. And he's given you the command and the privilege to seek things that are above this earth and to not be grounded to the earth. It was interesting. I went through, um, and I'll just paraphrase, but I was going through the Old Testament and I was looking up the word seeking. And you know, it said things like, he did, not, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. I'm thinking, well, was it his choice or was it God's choice? What's going on here? Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Psalm 105. Those who seek Him will praise Him. Psalm 22. Hebrews 11. He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Zephaniah. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth. Psalm 27. My heart says of you, seek His face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. They entered into a covenant with the Lord to seek Him, to seek the God of their fathers with all their heart. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. And then it promises several times, if we seek, we will find. It says things like this, those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And it made me wonder, on those days where I feel forsaken, is it because I'm less seeking on those moments? I'm less seeking on those days? I'm less seeking on those weeks? Because if I trust the Bible, if I trust the Word, it says, you've never forsaken those who seek you. Though lions grow weak and hungry, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So do I trust the Bible when it says those who seek the Lord lack no good thing? And do I adjust my lacking? And do I adjust my idea of lacking? And do I adjust my idea of seeking? Or do I just say, guess it works for other people, but it don't work for me. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Proverbs 28. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face always. 
Listen to this promise from Deuteronomy chapter 4. If I found the right verse here. But Shihon, king of Heshbon, refused to let us pass through, for the Lord your God had made his spirit stubborn and his heart obstinate in order to give him into your hands, as he now has. And then I went to other verses where it talked about the Lord making somebody's heart hard, like in the case of Pharaoh, and then people actually saying, I'm determined, I've determined to seek the Lord. And it told, tells us in Matthew chapter 6, 33. Okay, somebody start it for me. Matthew 6, 33. Yes, yes. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So is the command a privilege? Is the command an opportunity? Is the command the answer? Yes. All the above. And we have the privilege every day and the responsibility every day. And Paul's telling these Colossians, you know, they're going to try to add. Okay? Somebody's going to come along to you and they're going to say, you need Jesus and this, Jesus and this, Jesus and this. But listen, all the fullness of God dwells in him and you have been given that fullness. So seek him. Set your mind on things above where He is. And if we would do that as individuals, and we would listen to what the Scripture is telling us, how might our lives continue to develop in God-honoring ways over these next weeks, months, years, and carry out the privilege of our calling and find ourselves in very dark circumstances sometimes. Circumstances not of our choosing. And we're soaring rather than groveling because we set our mind on things above. And we set our thing, our, our hearts and our affections on things above because Christ is our life. And we find out the Word is truer than we thought it was. Because what we set our hearts on, we'll become. What we pursue, we become. God knows that. That's why he invites us and commands us to set our heart on him. To set our hearts on things above. Because that's who we are. Through faith in Christ. We've been dead through baptism. Raised to new life. And we have a responsibility and an obligation Romans 8, we have an obligation, brothers, but it is not to the sinful nature. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the sinful nature. Set your heart on things above. Let's practice setting our heart on things above. Let's encourage one another. Father, thank you for your word, God, and um, for whatever way you want to draw us into 
deeper appreciation of what you've done, a deeper appreciation of who you are, a deeper appreciation. God, help us not to let our stubbornness get in the way. Help us to set our affections on you, to set our mind and our heart on you, to take up the the privilege and the responsibility, God, to direct our minds this tremendous gift that you've given us, the center of our being and affections and emotions and will and intellect, to set that center like a compass on you. And we're thankful, God, that you enable us by the indwelling power of your Spirit, by the Word, to find out what pleases the Lord and go be about doing it and find ourselves in that place with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.